Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into our favorite games and discuss what we can learn from them. And I'm only laughing because of the sound <laughs> check that we set up to start this episode. Um, also, um, just why we like games. So uh, for those of you out there counting, this is episode 36, one of the silliest starts to an episode. Um, and we're coming at you on February 14th, 2019. It is a day filled with love and commerce, and uh, mm. my name is Chase Strollenberg. So I am joined today by the lovely and loving... <laughs> uh, uh, Stupid? Uh, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Stu, let's... Yeah. Stu Gritter. Let's... Yeah. Were you going to give yourself another moniker? Are you going to name? I'm... <laughs> I'm just surprised of all the things you've ever called me. I think it's the first time any of those words have ever come up. The, That's all. The artist That's formerly all. known as Gritter. Oh, <laughs> uh, yep. Hmm. Thanks. Your, Thanks, your Jace. Gonna be a you're, you're my Valentine. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, we're uh, just spoilers for anybody out there who's listening and cares. We're, we're a few episodes off of a D&D episode. And um, I was just, I was thinking, like, do you think the prince, when he came up with, like, his symbol for who he is, uh, when he decided to no longer be prince, he wanted to be, like, a, 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 a symbol that he had created, do you think that that was, like, something he came up with when reading, like, D&D lore? <laughs> because I remember... <laughs> When I was in grade 8 or grade 9, I discovered that, like, um, magicians in the d and I think specifically Forgotten Realms, um, like, they had symbols that represented who they were as magicians. Um, and, like, if you saw that symbol, like, that represented their name. And so then I would, like, work on these crazy, what I thought were, like, these crazy runic images and, like, created a sigil for like this ridiculous name that mm-hmm. I, I created for uh, for a character. Um I just wonder, you know, is Prince just playing D and D. You wonder if, if yeah, yeah. Prince based his iconography his personal iconography the same way you doodled in your school books <laughs> as an eight year old. Well, that's what it looked like. <laughs> if we're being real. Like if we're being re- like, you know, he had more money, so it looked cooler. But it was really just a uh, purple squiggly that he did in his room. If we're, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, that's you know what? Yes, I am almost certain I've seen that in a documentary somewhere. No, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> You're a dirty liar. Um, cool. Well, hey, uh, let's get into it. So, uh, anybody who's joining us for the first time, uh, yeah, we just went down that rabbit hole, but. Uh, Traditionally, this podcast is about celebrating games, looking at the intrinsic educational value that exists within them, and also just sort of explaining on a personal level why we engaged with a certain game and uh, why we like them. So, um, (laughs) Stu, before we jump into the meat of our show was there anything you wanted to discuss just off the top kind of off topic aside from prince um no no i don't i don't think i have anything okay uh, anything loose today i'm gonna put i was playing with something in my hands i'm gonna put that down so that doesn't show up um and 
okay well then we will just jump into the regular show so uh next part of the show is what we learned this month and it really has been a month at least um so this is the segment of the show where we discuss things we learned about gaming this month so Stu, you and i love tech and we love gaming news so remember audience members if you ever want to hear us talk about news or tech updates feel free to email us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com that's learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com and boy oh boy what a new cycle this last month has had for gaming um I mean, there was a Nintendo Direct yesterday that had a bunch of really cool stuff in it. I don't think that we need to really get into that unless you saw a game that you're excited yeah, about. Yeah. And I don't think you are because you don't give two Fs about Nintendo. <laughs> um, that's it's only said, partly true. Yeah, that said, the uh, the other huge, huge story uh, dominating the news lately is Ubisoft reporting record highs in income and not laying off their employees. <laughs> was an awesome awesome article from pc yeah, yeah, gamer yeah, yeah. where it's just like ubisoft <laughs> reports record highs and does not lay off employees um yeah so activision uh activision blizzard in um what a lot of people are accusing them of uh sort of late uh late game capitalism uh reported uh record highs uh was it profits or was it um uh, there's a difference between profit and like their share price. Yeah. Profit and revenue. There's a difference between oh, okay. them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost semantic, but, uh, on the books, like one, one is like capital and the other is, uh, I don't even remember anyway. Um, so Blizzard Activision made a shit ton of money last year. Um, and they publicly posted it. And then in the same week, uh trimmed their staff by about 775 almost 800 um i think 775 is the exact number of people who were let go from the organization um i've had people rationalize that action as um just trimming down studios that were no longer performing and abandoning old ips that aren't really doing anything so the suggestion was um, that sort of the Blizzard side, Hearthstone is not performing as well as it used to, so there was cuts there. Uh, wow, um, not a big surprise. It is underperforming and has been for some time, so there were a number of cuts there. Um, to which I say, sure, okay, but also bullshit, because <laughs> these are people who have institutional knowledge who could be re... Like, when you use the term restructured... They can be put somewhere else and that knowledge can be kept Beneficial. in the organization, yeah. right? Like you can put them on a team, give them the resources and start building something better than what they had. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it is what it is. Whatever, whatever. Um, uh, what I would suggest is really happening is uh, a lot of those people probably are in a higher pay bracket than Activision Blizzard wants to pay when they can hire young, enthusiastic uh, newbies to overwork and uh, <laughs> be underpaid. Yeah, well, par yeah, part of it, underpaid. part of it too, is when they they announced that they were pulling in. It was months ago. They said they were bringing a new um, CFO. Yeah, and 
his history and he openly acknowledged and said he was planning on doing exactly this. Yeah. So well, I mean, a, it a wasn't lot a really of us big surprise. It was going to come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the, the day that Blizzard and Activision merged, right? The, the day that it happened, you had to know that this was going to be coming. Um, like it, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's just, it's a little heart wrenching when you realize that it was Blizzard that was going to be taking the cuts and anybody who's been paying attention to the new cycle should have noticed that a lot of the old guard in upper management for Blizzard just sort of stepped out of Floated the picture. Away. Yeah, stepped out of the picture over the last year. Yeah, and I I expect those were the people who were sort of holding this off from happening, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, it like it was going to happen. Yeah, and now it has. Yep. Um. So here we are, 2019, off to uh, off to an interesting start. One of my favorite studios, getting gutted. Um. But still making tons of money, yeah. right? Um, That's how they do. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are not the the corporate finance podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's it's interesting. Like, um, if you've been listening to if you've been listening to this show for a while, and if you're over a certain age, um, the 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 financial side of things can be really really interesting and important, and understanding how the industry works. Um, especially like, sure, this is a hobby for all of us, but like taking the time to understand the economics of this industry is really important um, because the, these organizations, like these big AAA companies, they function just like any other large successful corporation and they actually follow all of the same steps and, and do all of the same practices. And the reason why you can get an organization that, like reports record highs in revenue and then also cuts like cuts employees is because when revenue is that high it is very hard to imagine how when you have no games that are actually performing well this quarter you can report successful profits or successful revenue in the next quarter um without cutting somewhere like if you know you're not going to be making that money again next quarter but the anticipation from shareholders and from a board of directors is that you continue to exponentially grow then you do it by any means necessary and um, one of those means is is cutting right cutting underperforming um and that's just that's how corporations work right that's just how capitalism works um you uh you you run as lean as possible until everything breaks <laughs> <laughs> So, do you have any news stories you want to talk about, Stu? Um, I do not. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know. I wish... I, I, yeah, there was nothing. Nothing really jumped out at me. Okay. Uh, so, like the there are a number of responses to this event that really jumped out at me. Like one okay. of the one of the coolest ones, and it's something that. Like you forget because, you know, the fog of time just sort of falls on the brain. Um, but what was interesting is there was a year where Nintendo underperformed. And this was back when uh, Satoru Iwata was still around. Um, and he he actually took blame. Like it was, you know, the entire company underperformed. But he took blame and took a pay cut. 
and did it to ensure that everybody that was on his team could still have a job, even though the, the company was under underperforming. And this, I think this was back in the Wii U era, because the Wii U was basically a giant turd. I mean, it was a system that had some very good games on it, but nobody bought it, and there's no third-party support. Um, and this was... Uh, like, it's, it's just a representation of the difference in how corporations function um, between, like, say, the, the, the West and the East... Um, like, and uh, even this sort of culture isn't the same in all organizations, but, uh, the, 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 the sense of like corporate pride, which sounds so weird and almost dirty to say when in, in a Western culture, like most, or at least this was the case like 10, 20 years ago. And there are still a lot of old guard in Japanese game in industry that, that do this. Like you, you stayed with a corporation until you died effectively. Um, and unfortunately yeah. for game designers, sometimes that's sooner rather than later yeah. because of crunch. Um, and that was of course the, the case for Iwata. Um, but, um, like just, just think about how, how many CEOs do you know? Uh, like Western CEOs that would actually do that would actually just be like, you know what? Yeah. Sorry. Pay cut, uh, to myself because I don't want to see the people who actually brought us here getting cut out of the picture. I think we will get better. I have faith in this team. So I'm going to take the cut so that they can stick around like, a yeah, it has, dude, it has, the, it hasn't happened. I don't think. Yeah. It, it, it has the feeling of, um, like you would see every now and then, uh, like indie companies, five ten years ago, people, you know, funding their their works of passion by, you know, living like squirrels, you <laughs> yeah. know, or or people taking out massive loans or remortgaging things to keep a team of people employed and working on something that they cared about. Yeah, uh, that, and that's kind of the closest we get over here. In larger companies, yeah, that's doesn't happen what's so what's interesting is i mean like none of us live in just the video game bubble right so i look at other industries and other other fields and how they survive and also like the the, the trials and tribulations they're encountering um and one of like one of the uh, channels that i follow on youtube is um the philip defranco show and it's not for everybody. It's just, it's for me, it's sort of like uh, <laughs> my shitty news channel, like where I go to just get sort of trash news. Uh, some of it's actually very interesting, but some of it is just like, you know, the, the garbage that you would get off of YouTube. Um, but even there, like the other day he, he did an episode about um, uh, just how he's trying to sustain and actually grow a business industry online, like create a business platform online and how, if he didn't care about his team and he, he, he even said, you know, he's like, yeah, okay. I'm tooting my horn a little bit here, but like, if I didn't care, I would be making millions and millions of dollars right now, instead of trying to build a team of enthusiastic people who want to actually report news. Um, and like, that was just such an interesting concept. And it's sort of like, why number one way to go? Like if, if you are being legitimate and sincere, which I actually thought that he was, it's like way to go. But number two, like, why does this need to happen on YouTube? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, 
it like it's just it's funny it's like to go get news from like enthusiastic people that actually want to give you the facts why do you have to go to youtube but um yeah it was it was just interesting uh but it's like an example of one of those places where people are trying to figure out how the industry should work um and it just keeps changing so um like a good example is say there's a there's a ban on an episode like an episode doesn't go up because somebody flags it for content and anybody uh what a lot of people don't realize is anybody can flag an episode for content and then it's frozen until youtube decides that that ban isn't valid um like that's lost revenue right that's lost ad revenue that's lost revenue from whatever sources may be coming off of of that episode for for youtube and that means people don't get paid uh, for whatever that content was and however long it took to make it um, until it eventually goes up and it, and it runs. But like, that's, that's a hell of a way to live. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's easier the more followers you have, but holy shit, man. <laughs> like, yep. Same, same thing with streamers. Like how, how is that sustainable if you're not successful? Like every day has got to be such a grind. It's got to be so tough. Yeah. Um, if it's like your primary source of income. Yeah. And it like, there's so many people who grind and grind and grind and grind and grind to get to a point where they can kind of use that creative outlet to make a living. And then they, and, and then they find out there so many of them are making content that they're not as passionate about and they're stuck. Yeah. They've, they've painted themselves into this corner where they have to keep creating the content that they're, it's not really a hundred percent their bag, but at this point, in order to maintain their viewership and in order to maintain, you know, the, the income that they have now that they're so committed to it, you're stuck. Yeah. Because, uh, or you, yeah. Like when you start offending your users, right. When you start offending your audience, uh, you lose them and then your revenue goes down and then the standard of living you were used to, uh, starts to evaporate and disappear. And all, all it takes is, is like depending on who you are all it takes is one very vocal unhappy audience member to really trash something um i think it's a bit harder on twitch but on youtube if somebody's flagging your content um for copyright like that will stall a video for you know hours days months who knows um i guess it just sort of depends on how long it takes youtube to get around to check it Mm -hmm. um and and <laughs> well, I know. Here, you I, go ahead. I was just gonna say YouTube in general. I know is not great at like they're not there's zero transparency there. So yeah. like even when something does get flagged, the process is so obfuscated from the people who are yeah. creating content. Like they have no idea. They're just you are just hanging. Yeah. Oh man, 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 man. Um. Yeah. So hey, everybody. Games. Mm-hmm. Video games. <laughs> But no, honestly, like that's like it's important to understand the media that we're consuming, where it's coming from and like just the trials and tribulations that some people have to go through to actually get it out. Yeah, Um, it's a lot easier the bigger you are, but there are still some hurdles. But like if you're just small, everyday person um, and you're doing this for fun and your stuff's getting flagged consistently because you have one or two listeners or viewers who really doesn't like it. Uh, that can be super frustrating. Yeah. Like we do this for fun. We've never been flagged. I don't even know if Podbean has a flagging policy. I've never been contacted. I don't think we've ever said anything that really upset anyone. But even if we did, <laughs> like, 
you yeah. know, we've got, um, and thank you by the way, to the 30 dedicated listeners, (laughs) but like we've got 30 dedicated listeners if we're being real. Um, So it's just, you know, if, if you've gotten to this point in the episode, you're, you're sort of into this shit anyways. Um, But it's, it's just, it's so important to not just consume it ignorantly, but to actually understand that like they're in some cases, like unless it's an algorithm making those like nightmare fuel kids videos on youtube <laughs> that my son consumes so uh eagerly yeah. uh it's yeah it they're they're actually people putting effort in and, and making this stuff so yeah. um and the internet the way that it responds to everything is just so polarizing it's so yeah there there's actually another story but i don't really want to touch it mm. it was just uh it was <laughs> It was a call to arms that was actually something else uh, that was released by one of the uh, now on an extended vacation uh, EIC for escapist. I yeah, it's uh, it it was it was poorly put together. It was a veiled attack at um, a number of people and then he behaved badly on Twitter and uh, man shouting match shouting match that ended in some some pretty wild stuff which is weird because there are some creators on on the escapist that i really really respect and at at first glance when i read that initial article i was like there's a number of things here that are actually pretty interesting not realizing that there was actually loaded terminology in the article that was uh (laughs) dog whistling uh that was actually um trying to evoke reactions from certain members of the audience and actually certain members of the uh the video game press and boy did it work uh for about a day not everybody would have noticed this but for about a day um twitter exploded on this guy and he kind of earned it um yeah it was just it was interesting um uh, that was a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So anybody who really cares, you can just look at the escapist and look at who's not EIC right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you can figure that one out on your own. Yeah. Um, there's a paper trail and there's always evidence. Like if it was on the internet, you can find it. Yep. So, um, yeah, if that's a rabbit hole you want to go down, go right ahead. Uh, but let's get into games, Stu. Hey, let's talk about games. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, do you want to go first today, or would you like me to go first? Um, I'm going to take the gamble. I, I think you have another... You said it wasn't quite a hospital curveball. I'm expecting an ambulance ride at least, but you can go ahead. Go first. Oh, wow. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, you know what? Hey, folks, let's get into the meat of the show that is not about news, and that is uh, the section we like to call What We Learned From Gaming. Um, so this is the section of the show where we pick a game, uh, that we played and we describe what we learned from it and why we like it. So my game today, Stu, oh Stu, my game today is Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, wonderful. Hey, tabletop RPG designed and published by White Wolf. Um, originally released in 1992 as a hardcover RPG manual. So this, uh, the genre type, it's pen and paper uh, tabletop RPG. So core mechanics, you create a character uh, 
and you sort of live out their story in a dark mirror world of our own. Uh, so very similar to our own, where you're feeding on humans because you're a vampire. And it's sort of a subtle dance of being a vampire, um, trying to exist within the crazy political world of the setting. Um, and I would argue it's even more polarizing and political than, you know, real life in 2019 because there's a lot more people trying to kill you um but you know take that for what it's worth um and one wow my phone okay one of the, <laughs> that's gonna show up um yep. one of the uh so to play this game so like in terms of mechanics to play this game you use your personal skills so that's like your everyday skills who you used to be but also who you've become after you were embraced into vampirehood um, to perform tasks, and then you also use your supernatural blood powers to, uh, you know, to sort of become more than you were and attempt to survive and move up in the ranks of vampire aristocracy within the city that you're living in. Um, and those are sort of like the the mid and long term goals. Like I guess the the long term goal in a game is to become like the ruler of a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, midterm would be. Uh, maybe overthrow some some baddie or uh control your clan within the city and then like <laughs> short-term goals in in a game like vampire is stay alive <laughs> or get that thing you really want yeah. um which could be people could be items could be really anything because uh the, the what was really great and what is still really great about vampire is you could start a game in the Middle Ages, and if you play your cards right, you could survive all the way up into modern day. Um, it's really hard to balance a game with a vampire that old or with a group of vampires that old, because if we're being real, they would not stick around with yeah. each other for that long, yeah. um, which is why this game functions best when it's just a new cadre uh, or a new little group of vampires learning to grow together um being encouraged to do so by the politics of the world but uh we can get into that in a little bit so um in terms of pros for this game uh character creation allowed you to basically create exactly what you wanted from the start of the game um and in, and there was like systems in place allowing you to flesh out your character story as much as you liked and giving you and your storyteller lots to work with. So, like, the amount of effort you put into creating your character basically shaped the world for you, but also gave your storyteller so many hooks to just grab on and then, you know, bring those things into the story or use at a later at a later point. Um, in terms of actual play, the Vampire D10 system... Um, or the, the White Wolf D10 system, like most White Wolf games. I think all White Wolf games use D10s. Um, it was pretty easy to learn. It's sort of like, okay, if you have a skill, um, then you roll, you're trying to beat this target number. If you roll over, I think it was 7 or better, or 8 or better, depending. Uh, sometimes I get things mixed up. I also played uh, Exalted a lot, which was another White Wolf game. Um, but, uh, it's an easy system to learn. I haven't played it in a while, so I pardon, like, pardon my ignorance on it, but, um, 
once you get the hang of it, it's it's second nature. And the fact that you don't have to rummage through your collection of dice to find the right D4 or D6 or D8, <laughs> like just using D10s was super convenient. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the one type. You just use it. Um, so I always really appreciated that. Um, cons for the game, and this is not unique to just Vampire, but uh, for any tabletop RPG, Um, player team composition and cohesion is so key and when that doesn't work wow does it not work like you have one or two games and that's it and sometimes you have some really bad experiences and you never want to play that game or you never want to play with some of those people (laughs) ever again Um, white wolf games in particular often put players at odds with each other um, as internal politics work to try and tear the players apart and if the storyteller was not keenly aware of his own, his or her own players' uh, ticks and personal biases, this could really come to a head quick and in ways that were not expected. Um, hmm. So understanding your players and understanding, like if you're, if you were a player, like understanding each other, was always sort of key. Also, syncing schedules as an adult. <laughs> It's hard. It was so much easier as a student. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, like uh, making the time to play, uh, it, it, it almost feels like a job in itself now. Um, it's hard. A lot can happen in a session. So, uh, oh, this is like, this is sort of like my, my final note for cons. A lot can happen in a session. So if someone's not taking notes, there are also oh. some things that can get forgotten or <laughs> yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that happens more often than you it's would think. It's really, yeah. Because of the nature of the game, it's not like playing a video game where maybe there's like an online journal or you can just look back at the action log to see everything that's happening. You have to be the one writing that action log because nobody else is doing it. So either you decide to do it or you nominate somebody to take notes for the uh, for the episode um, or for the episode for that session. session. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> what did I learn from... Uh, from vampire the masquerade like that's a there's a lot okay so vampire the masquerade wasn't my first tabletop game but it was definitely one that helped me mature into and and begin to really understand what it was that i wanted out of tabletop games hmm. i mean um we will be doing a D episode at some point uh and D was definitely my first tabletop game but um I think that Vampire was in, like the the first game that made you really really think and really and when I say really really think not like who oh, what's the meaning of life I mean you can go that deep if you wanted and if your storyteller lets you go into that bullshit which is only bullshit if you let it be it can actually be really interesting and engaging um but like it lets you really flesh out the world, create these things that D&D never encouraged you to do. You could make a character back history if you wanted, but it was only really important to if the storyteller wanted it to be, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas, like, you make this backstory and you sit down and then you're, like, in a pub with your thief friend and you're just like, oh, oh. I come from a village that was burned down and uh, this evil baddie did it. And if that evil baddie isn't even in the campaign, then the thief's just like, I don't care. (laughs) 
<laughs> like who cares? Whereas in White Wolf, that can all have significant or it can all have significance and there are actually systems in place in character creation, but also in the game itself that uh, they give that value. Like you have backgrounds like Sire, where however many points you put in that decides how strong the person who embraced you and made you into a vampire is. And you better believe that at some point you're going to be running into those people. Um, it, it just didn't. And I feel like most White Wolf games really, really sort of do this. It, yeah, they do pretty well. Yeah, it like it took the reins on storytelling and used the mechanics to actually force you to use your imagination in a way that I had never seen other games do. Um, and I kind of really respected it for that. And a good storyteller could easily just take those things, introduce them into the story, and then it just it's just such a unique tale um, that is very specific to the character that you created yourself. Uh, and that's, that's something that a game like D and D doesn't always catch. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, I really, really liked it for that. So like in terms of, uh, so, and it's, it's weird to try and explain this. Like it's, it's a storyteller thing or an actual player character thing. And it's not something that you intimately understand unless you've sat down and played at least one or two games on tabletop. Um, or if you have a good imagination, that also really, really helps. Um, the only other game, and this might also reflect like a bunch of just nerds growing into maturity. The only other game I can think of where, uh, we had characters that were pretty well developed. Um, and Stu, unfortunately you weren't really involved in it is, uh, at, uh, at university, there was this big push for, um, for Spycraft second edition, when that oh, broke, okay. yeah, um, yeah, we yeah. had we had a specific storyteller who everybody really liked. He was very good at what he did, and he was willing to run multiple campaigns that could mix. So you could actually have uh, different, or you could be working for different organizations that could potentially run into each other and actually work against each other or with each other. Um, and for a while there, he was spinning a lot of dishes. Like he had, uh, I think three or four teams running at the same time while going to school full time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, not a big surprise. Some of those dishes fell and a lot of those campaigns fell apart, but, um, he dedicated him, he dedicated himself to it and everybody who played seemed to have a really good time. And that was, I would argue all that really matters. Um, but, uh, yeah, you would get some, some great characters out of that, that system as well. And, uh, I guess maybe the onus really is on the storyteller to pick up on those cues and go with them. Yeah. Um, so like one of the big things that I kind of want to communicate is that if you're playing in a tabletop uh, RPG, having a firm understanding of who your character is and being able to convey that in game is so important both to your storyteller and to your other fellow players because then they come to understand and uh, and they know what to expect out of your character, right? Like, um, if you... Hmm, hmm. I mean, like, I don't want to say you should play a stereotype. Like, establish who you are. It doesn't have to be a stereotype, but, like, just establish who you are in-game or 
explain to everybody around you how that is and then maybe try to stick to it because that's what role playing is about mm-hmm. because when you start contradicting that or acting in a way that that doesn't make any kind of sense compared to what the character you've built up before that's when dissonance happens and that's when like the entire facade of this whole really game drops. sort of falls apart right so like you don't have an, a non-combative like like say you're playing a game and you want to be someone who solves everything through talking if your solution to the next problem you come across is to rob and kill someone there's some red flags that go up and some question marks over people's heads, but not the first of which would be the storyteller being like, what? You got a bunch of social skills. You want to stab this guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and so the, I, I feel like D and D you're, you're always just sort of slamming against mar- monsters. So this isn't always really important and it's not the storyteller's fault. Um, a lot of the mechanics in dungeons and dragons is going to a dungeon kill a bunch of stuff, level up. Yeah. Sometimes if you have a really good storyteller, they can make the in-city like politics and the thieving stuff and like like you can really engage characters that way, get them get them involved in all kinds of political intrigue in a city so then it's not just going and killing goblins or going and killing orcs and going and facing that dragon or some undead evil. Um yeah. And a good storyteller will be able to do that, but, like, Vampire, it was something you had to do. Uh, it was something, be- because, like, the baddies are just other vampires or humans. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, I mean, Vampire also taught me because of the, the amount. Uh, Charlie, I'm bringing you in. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Charlie was uh, the storyteller for the vast majority of any of the Vampire games that I played. Um and every single one of his vampire games fall apart, um, which it, like games will eventually fall apart unless they come to a natural conclusion. Yeah. Um, but store uh, Charlie's stories sometimes like he he would get over ambitious and he would bring a few too many people in, or he would try to do a few too many campaigns all at once. Uh, similar to that story I was telling you about uh, the Spycraft yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and that happened, right? That's exactly what happened. Uh, I remember one time we played uh, a game where all of our characters were just starting brand new, and um, there were 10 of us playing in that one game, in that one session, mm-hmm. and I think four survived, and that session just ended and never started up again, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And it wasn't yeah. supposed it's to just, be a one-shot, but, that but that's just how that happened. Um, and then one time Charlie decided he wanted to do some, um, he wanted to do vampire medieval. Um, and he had like three different crews that were all in the same setting. that were all going to be within the same city. And I think he got two to four sessions in depending on the groups. And then that fell apart too. So like also understanding your limitations and maybe just sort of setting rational, um, well, setting expectations. Well, not goals. setting limits. Yeah, goals, goals, goals. Realistic yeah. goals. Yeah. Um, because if I if I can be completely honest, like the time that I spent playing those games, they were all fun. They were all engaging, and like he he was such a charismatic and great storyteller. But it was just like biting off more than you could chew. Yeah. And, um, 
as a player character, that's not even something that I was tracking or even thinking and being like, hey, maybe like because as a friend, I could have just been like, hey, maybe you should just rein it in a little bit. And this fun will last longer for a collection everyone. of people yeah, instead yeah. of like everyone. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, although like one of the <laughs> even though I was just talking about how Vampire was just such a great uh, story driven game. One of the really cool little side things that he did is uh, he let us play what he referred to as Mortal Kombat, which is where <laughs> you could take your vampire character and he would just he would set it up and it's like, OK, so a good example was myself and my friend Jamie. Um, we fought once and he's just like, OK, you're uh, you're in an abandoned cemetery. Chase, you're starting here. Jamie, you're starting here. The goal is one of you leaves. Um, and like he did that, like he ran Mortal Kombat one day and it was just like two player characters would enter a scenario and then only one of them would leave. And then you had bragging rights, right? (laughs) Like just like a video game. It was actually pretty cool. It was a really fun sort of setup. It's like just creating these theoretical safe spaces where you can explore what would sort of the what ifs of, um, and man, like I just... I remember, like, uh, Jamie outwitted me so bad, uh, but he also cheated. Um, I'm I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> Jamie, you cheated. You used a bunch of Lissombra skills all at once when you could only use one at a time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got smoked. Uh, like, shadow tentacle demons and then, like, shadow tentacles, and then I was just trying to hide and use my super strength to shoot shards of stone at something I couldn't see. Um, yeah, just didn't work. Um, but even that, like it's the possibilities for tabletop RPGs are really just limited to, um, like the system, the mechanics, but also your own imagination. So yeah, (coughs) I also ran it. Sorry. I didn't mean to do that into the mic. (laughs) I also ran a few vampire medieval, uh, campaigns like myself and it's not easy. Everybody wants to kill you, and your yeah. players all just want to go kill and cause trouble because they're, like, super powered. And it is so hard to balance and, and rein, rein that in. Um, and especially in Vampire, there's a mechanic where your guys just go crazy, where they just frenzy and uh, will, like, feed on the nearest people. And I remember I was playing a game and two of my player characters frenzied at the same time in a bar. They had just shown up in town and they frenzied in a bar. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so they're like killing people. Uh, They're like, they're like sucking people dry in somebody else's territory. So like, you know, like it's medieval times. There's, there's established borders and you're strangers like eating people. Um, Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they had to die. <laughs> like, like in terms of, uh, yeah, in terms of how that world worked, like they, those people would not be accepted. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, man, it's hard. It's hard. Being a good storyteller, so hard. Something else I learned <laughs> playing vampire. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to, I'll do a summary, but then Stu, we can talk about this a little bit more. Yeah, so yeah. for me, any white wolf game can be really enjoyable time. I want to talk about Exalted someday, but I think, Stu, we can actually do that together. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for deep, 
angst and in politics in either medieval or 90s-esque flavor, then Vampire the Masquerade or Vampire Medieval are for you, yeah. um, 100%. Uh, there are probably other better game systems out there, but this is like, it's a good entry point at least. Um, the thing is, you got to make time for it, and you got to be sure that everybody who's playing it at meshes. That isn't always obvious at first, but uh, get a few game sessions in, and you'll really get a feel for yeah. it. Um, and just you know what, like if if you get asked to step out of a game or if things fall apart, don't take it personally. Right, like people have lives. It's just sometimes things work, sometimes they don't, and it's all just supposed to be for fun anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. Um, and that's Vampire the Masquerade for me. I know I didn't go into too many stories of glory, uh, but uh, it, it's more about what you take away from it. And like, I've got some. I have some <laughs> stories of glory. I, yeah. This really isn't the place to talk about them. Yeah. But um, well, no, it's our podcast. We could, but talk about uh, whatever, I, I but think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would rather just like talk about the cool stuff you can take away from it. So the the first thing because I'm it doesn't have a mechanic similar to stunting, does it? Oh, stunting. Oh man, I'm like going to have so stunting? much fun. Well, I'm going to have so much fun when we talk about exalted. No, but uh, a lot of people house ruled okay. stuff like that in. Okay. Yeah, cuz that's kind of where stunting came from because uh, d- to be clear, to be clear, uh, Spycraft did have stunting. Yeah. Um, and that was such a great system. And I hope that moving forward, all uh, all RPG systems take that away because that encourages your character, or that encourages your players to be so much more creative yeah. in, in combat. And it makes for such a cinematic story afterwards. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what stunting is, um, just a, a little bit of a breakdown. When you stunt an action in um, a pen and papal, pen and papal, wow, anointing patri, filii, spiritu sancti. When you stunt something in a um, pen and paper RPG, it's when the player character describes an action in a cool and inventive way. So instead of saying, I shoot at that guy, you say, I quick draw the gun, flip it up in the air, shoot so that when the bullets hit near that guy, they spray sand up into his face and he's blinded. That sort of thing. Um, it's it's not just shooting at the person or shooting to do something. It's describing the entire event. Um, now, the defensive actions, usually the storyteller, like you roll the dice and then the results of those dice rolls, it's like, yeah, that totally happened. Or no, that really didn't happen. Here's what actually happened. You tripped over your own gun and now you're on the ground. <laughs> like, Because um, uh, critical failures are also amazing. Oh, yes. um, but uh, yeah, I don't remember. I remember that uh, every game that I ran, I let people stunt. But I think that's just a carryover from my time playing spycraft yeah okay because stunting is just such a great yeah it's my house yeah it's my favorite house rule to bring into every game ever and it's where like if you describe it as cool you get additional bonuses to that to that thing on top of your regular skill check so i guess maybe i didn't explain how um skill checks work like i i did i dipped into the mechanics a little bit but basically um, if you actually look at a character sheet, you'll have what are physical, mental, or um, uh, social attributes. 
and then you'll have a list of skills. So say you want to, uh, you're being chased by a bunch of, uh, so if you're a vampire, you're being chased by a bunch of clergy, basically they want to stake you or they want to put you outside so that you'll get exposed to the sun and you'll disappear. Um, if you want to hide, usually a hide roll is your dexterity, so how fast you can move and the actual ability stealth or hide. Um, so if you have put points in that at character creation, or if you've put points in that as you've grown as a character, then your hide will probably be increased and your dex will be about as high as it was at character creation unless you train to be faster. So what you would do is you take those two numbers, your dexterity and your hide or your dexterity and your stealth, you add them together. And then if you stunted to say something cool that you did, so it's like, okay, so instead of just hiding in the shadows, it's like I do a backflip making sure that I'm incredibly quiet and then land in a curtain and slide down and wrap myself around behind it. I might give that a one or two dice additional stunt or like one or two modifier additional stunt to that. Um, also, if you were to critically fail that role, I would make that failure spectacular and embarrassing for your character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what stunting is. And that's what uh, skill checks are. Um, <sighs> any other questions, Stu? I guess um, you talked a little bit about... Um, mm, I'm, I'm curious if you pulled out anything uh, from your experiences playing this that kind of had... I don't want to say like social skills, but maybe that is what I mean. Like, I, I know you're pulling out things like uh, drawing on resources to be creative and and uh, balancing life with everything else. Um, okay, respecting so people's I, time actually, and I know, like, I know what you're getting at, and I will say that yeah, um, there are social skills that are required or that you need to acquire if you want to continue to play in in a game of like any tabletop rpg like any any because this is a situation where you are face to face with other people you can play you can do this stuff over like you can do this stuff over skype you can do this stuff over uh any voice sort of system that, that you can think of we could do it right now in in the way that we're doing it because we're not in the same room right like you're you're somewhere else we could have this as long as we can see what each what we're rolling if we're even using a system where we need to use dice but um you and i need to be able to engage with each other in a way that is positive and doesn't leave us hating each other afterwards for a change um <laughs> yeah, for a change. Yes, for a change. Um, and that's something that the more people you have involved in the game, like the, the more important it is, right? Like you need to be able to get along and <laughs> tolerate each other long enough for a <laughs> session to come to completion. And sometimes that can be a real chore. You will not always get along with every player character. Like it's, it's up to the storyteller's discretion who gets included in a game. And hopefully usually they're thinking about how well people mesh together and whether or not they get along. It's a very rare situation where a storyteller is going to invite two people who absolutely hate each other to a game. Oh well, yeah. Um, 
but it's not that uncommon to have a storyteller invite a bunch of strangers into a game together Mm -hmm. and then you get to know those people while playing and that can be a both a really positive experience but also a potentially negative experience yeah. if the individuals you're playing with prove to be repugnant in some fashion yeah, to yeah. you um but if you really like the game you'll learn how to make it work um or at some point you're going to be at odds with the group and in all likelihood it's probably going to be you who gets asked to leave <laughs> right if you're the one who's performing strangely or being antagonistic and causing trouble for everybody else, the likelihood of you being the one who's asked to leave is probably pretty high. Um, and something that I did, like I'll talk more about this in Exalted because I, there have been situations where I've been asked to leave a game. Um, it's not always obvious. You don't always realize it. Um, yeah, that's true too. Yeah. You, you like the unfortunately ignorance is invisible so you're not always aware that you're the one being a dink um <laughs> or you're the one that's that's causing the problem uh but it's something that becomes infinitely more clear when somebody approaches you about it and is just like hey this is what's going on and this is what people think um and so what's interesting is like tabletop RPGs are actually really good for that too, because they're kind of a sounding board for, uh, for who you might be socially or how you act socially. Um, to be clear, uh, well, no, I mean, I don't know if I even really have to explain the time that I got asked to, uh, to leave a game. Um, it, it was more that I was just caught up in trying to do my own creative bullshit and trying to cut out the actual reality of the game. Mm. But that was because I was playing a game where I could alter reality. And I really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Exalted is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but also, altering reality is a trap, and you can get stuck in it, and it's really frustrating for storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, man... Um, Vampire, it's not that big of a deal. Your yeah, your yeah. power level isn't that high, especially not at the start of the game. Um, someday we'll talk about Exalted. Yeah. Uh, and I can go into detail about what happened there. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, social skills. Uh, if you don't have them yet when you start playing tabletop RPGs, uh, hopefully, yeah, you will learn them. Yeah. Um, and hopefully you have a storyteller that can help facilitate that. Um, yeah. so many good, well, so many J or JRPGs, holy shit. So many tabletop RPGs. It's about team cohesion. It's about making a team that functions together, but also like D and D is the best representation of this. And we will talk about that when we get there, yeah. but, um, like making it a, a team that complements each other on the battlefield is really important. Um, in a White Wolf game, making a team that complements each other's weaknesses is really important. Mm-hmm. So you might have someone who sucks in combat, but who is really good in other aspects like social or maybe sneaking and finding uh, traps or all like just tons of stuff. There's even academic stuff in White Wolf. So you can you can be incredibly smart, but suck at talking or suck at fighting um, and just have all kinds of other abilities that you can do that are still very valuable to the team. Um yeah, and I also really appreciated that White Wolf games, 
you weren't stuck as one single thing. You could you could diversify, and more importantly, you could grow over time. If you noticed that there were deficiencies in your character, or you felt that it made sense that your character grow in a certain direction, yeah. they, they could. That was always a possibility. So, um, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, um I'm trying. Sorry, I, I was trying to find i remember reading an article at some point about um how role-playing gamers actually have uh, uh actually have more empathy than non-role players um kind of on the spot to ask you about that but i i don't know i'll see if i can find that article again maybe you can i will throw that in the notes. say i will say that In particular, and specifically, most of the storytellers that I know are actually incredibly empathic. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, there, there are a few where that's not the case, um, but like the the best ones, the ones that have yeah. stories that can come to completion, um, and and consistently do. So these are people that are able to consider the needs and the the desires of their player characters, yeah. and um, deliver, deliver, but also are able to plan and coordinate in such a way as to ensure that every player is able to attend and, um, and gets a little bit of the spotlight. And that is like, that's a, that's a juggling game. Yeah. Um, I think that the more time you spend playing with people, uh, the more time you spend with any single group of people like you're going you're to, going to, to grow understand empathy, them yeah yeah and and you're going to you, you're going to be acquainted with them so you'll get along with them you'll like them or at very least like you'll you'll be nice to them and you're more inclined to be nicer to them if you know you're going to be playing a game with them again next week um but uh if it comes from like you said you're, you're thrown into games of strangers and you develop that rapport yeah. relatively quickly um yeah. so i think it that that maybe that is you know a skill or a muscle that gets exercised in that sense that's not something you ever have to do for a video game that's for sure you can start shouting horrible shit at people the second oh, you do, get through the matchmaking do people do that <laughs> <laughs> do you imagine <laughs> do you imagine doing that in a tabletop game it's just like sit down you're a <laughs> you rolled a what yeah. it's like it's like okay see you later sir <laughs> good day Wow. Uh, put on your fedora and goodbye. Um, <laughs> Man, magical. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, just, yeah, there are certain things you just oh, can't man. do if you want to actually in-person role-play. Yeah. Just, That's a, that was, thank you for bringing that up. That's fun. Okay. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. Toxic, uh, toxic personalities do not work in that setting. Yeah. And it's weird. And like you said, it, it's an ignorance thing sometimes. It's hard to recognize... Because sometimes it's not uh, an antisocial behavior that ends up being toxic game-wise. Like you said, sometimes it's somebody's character actually ends up being toxic for the group cohesion. And it's just is what it is sometimes. Yep. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, Especially when it's you and you're just like, but, but, oh man. But, 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 yeah. But I I I didn't realize I was doing it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Good. Hey, I'm, I, 
I mean, we can keep talking about this, but I'm running out of yeah. things to say. All right. Yep. That's fair. Cool. Let's talk about your games. All right. Um, I today am going to talk about Thief. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hold it. Wait. No, we haven't talked about Thief yet. No. No, we haven't. <laughs> okay, cool. Very cool. <laughs> I made a list. I checked it twice. <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm naughty and nice. Um, that's Valentine's probably. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to talk about Thief. Uh, the Dark Project. This was released in 1998 for PC. Um, it was a, a, a new game engine. Uh, it was a game engine that was actually used for System Shock 2, which was uh, another wonderful game. I think System Shock 2 came first and the engine wasn't quite finished, but... That's um, miscellany. Uh, so it, a Thief is a stealth game. And it kind of, I don't know, it's its hard to understate the impact that it had on the stealth genre. So it, it really has a lasting, has had a lasting impact uh, on, on the gaming industry, on gaming culture in general. There are a couple other stealthy sneaky games that kind of get uh put beside it but thief stands out as being a game where you're very vulnerable uh, a lot of other stealth games even in that time you played as characters who were intended to be sneaky but for example were ninjas and they were incredibly deadly fighters as well as being sneaky so you could try and tiptoe past people and if you were spotted you could hack somebody to death with a katana kind of thing um thief didn't have that um oh gosh now you got me saying um again <sighs> <laughs> it's contagious oh, it is it is uh, um so thief was, uh, again thief was interesting because you played as a very vulnerable character the writing and stuff was kind of interesting the world was uh, new and, and fairly interesting to a lot of people but it really was the core gameplay that i don't know brought had a, had a certain charm and a uniqueness to it and i i just yeah wanted to bring that out because gaming has always been for most people um from my cat's freaking out gaming is very empowering people play games to to play very powerful characters and to you know do the escapism thing and like shoot people or get in a mech and do powerful things or you know be a superhero and all that all that gank and this game stood out as exactly not that so mechanically it was you'd kind of go through one level at a time and You'd spawn somewhere and have objectives based off of the difficulty that you'd selected. So it might be go into this uh, this mansion, steal $300 worth of loot, and get out. So you would start outside a mansion and have to find a way in. There would be guards patrolling around. It was relatively relatively early in the in the realm of um 3d games but it was one of the first that had shadows that actually affected gameplay as well as sound that was used very very effectively you could hear guards 
um, patrolling around there. You could hear their footsteps and they would talk to each other or they would just like talk to themselves sometimes. And so the game had these interesting uh, clues for you as the player to use to be sneaky that stood out because again the main character Garrett was so weak going into this mansion if guards spotted you they would kill you very quickly you 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 couldn't stand up in a fight and that remains unique in stealth games where you don't have power-ups or anything like Garrett has a couple of tools he's got a blackjack so he can brain people if you sneak up on them just right and he has water arrows to put out torches to create more shadows. But that's almost the extent of his... Those are kind of like the biggest tools that you, that you get. So progressing through these levels actually relies on you as a player looking at uh, a static map. There's no mini-map or anything like that. So you have a scrawled thing in-game that gives you a rough idea, depending on the level, where things might be. This might be the kitchen. This is, looks like a guardhouse. The bedrooms and expensive things are upstairs. Nobody knows where his vault is because it's his vault and he doesn't want people to know where it is. So you have to explore. Go find things. And you're just using your sound cues and the light cues that you have to navigate this extraordinarily treacherous area. By ramping up the difficulty, you would have to proceed with while gathering more loot. So instead of having to get $300 worth of of loot it might be a thousand or twelve hundred or whatever to pick arbitrary numbers and that would mean you would have to go through more of the level and and be at risk more go to the more dangerous areas of the level sometimes there would be special loot that you might have to pick up and at the highest difficulties you would have to go through without killing anyone so Garrett has a bow and arrow and if you shoot somebody in the head with an arrow, uh, they notice. It hurts. Uh, you could, you know, like kill the cook in the kitchen in order to prevent him from, you know, freaking out and calling guards. But the game is thief, not, you know, mug and murder and rob. So the idea is to not actually be noticed, but also to not kill people because again it's not murderer so i mean that that stood out a lot of the time too so you're telling me it's not hitman no it's it's really not and it oh it drives me nuts when people people go oh yeah thief that's like hitman no it's not go away mm. shut your face mm. <laughs> mm. so yeah it, it became very empowering f- for players to Kind of learn a level, maybe play through it on easy, get a, a grasp of where some stuff is, and then play it on the hardest difficulty and see what you can do. And on those harder difficulties, it wasn't that, you, you know, and further levels, you never got more power-ups. You didn't get a super jump or super speed or, like, I don't know, more hit points or a tower shield to club people to death with. It was... It was, it's just shadow and sound, and it it's it put tools in the player's hand, and said, "Okay, it's yeah, you're playing a thief, but it's it's really you. You have to figure out how to be sneaky, so go enjoy." Ooh, there you go. So that was really really neat. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the the crux of the game itself. It spawned a lot of interesting conversation with a lot of people who enjoyed stealth games. There were it it, it was a little bit awkward because there were games like Tenchu which was on the PlayStation, I believe. But that was one of the games that was also heralded as being an early stealth game. But that had so much combat and stuff in it. And Thief was only on the PC. So it didn't it didn't have quite as wide a range, as wide an audience as some of the other games. Uh, so it was... It was <sighs> Yeah, I, I guess conversations with people who had tried both of those games or had only played one. I don't want to say it was polarizing. It was just interesting to see different people's reactions to <laughs> those different things. Um, yeah, I never played Thief. I, You know what? I To this day, I can't even visualize gameplay of it <coughs> in my head. Well, it was... I mean, it's it's relatively straightforward. The graphics were on par with, like, early Quake. <coughs> uh, the first Quake, like, that era, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, really? But, or I thought yeah. they were more 3D. Quake. A little uh, more 3D. Yeah, they, they, they were 3D. Like, I remember the promotional stuff, because, uh, like, Thief was advertised pretty hard in some... Uh, some game magazines so like i like it was sort of like the the dark dark blue cape and cowl or at least that's how i think i remember it hmm. i'm yeah hmm. i i never i never saw any like promo material for the game so i don't know all right that's this is going to the show notes i'm gonna make sure there's an image in the show notes. <laughs> I'm going to find me some advertising. Yeah. So you go ahead. All you right. keep going. You keep talking. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Quake came out a couple years earlier and was probably made with better graphic fidelity in mind than mm-hmm. than the Thief's engine. But uh, so exploring became a really big part of that game as well. Rather than, I mean, in most games now we have A, objective markers and uh, B, pretty good introductions to like, go and do this thing. This is the thing you have to do. And then you, you know, walk into the room and there are big shining lights and neon signs and arrows and shit pointing the way all the time. And Thief had none of that. There was, right. a, you know, there was no compass. There was, there was no mini map. Again, you would have a scrawled map, and sometimes it would be relatively detailed, but there were some levels where you were going into a crypt that no one had been in. You were entering abandoned mines, and so there would just be big sections of the map that were like, oh, this is where I'm going in. I know the other end where I'm trying to go is a prison, and the middle is a big question mark. So <laughs> let's go through there. Figure it, mm. figure it out, suckers. Like, if if you just you don't have that information, and you had to go and explore, and you had to go and figure it out. So doing that as a very weak character was just it was a lot of fun. It was super fascinating. 
you got to kind of test your limits a little bit, see what you could get away with all the time. Uh, the interface was very limited. I think they still had the light gem. It was one of the first games that had uh, a light gem because it was one of the first games that utilized light in that way. So there, w there was a gem on your on the HUD. Uh, it was a fairly limited HUD. It would show your health, uh, your light gem, which would be super bright if you were standing in torchlight or daylight or anything. Uh, otherwise, it would there, were, there was a gradient. It would be super black if you were fully hidden. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm looking at an Im image of it right now. And then there was, uh, like, it would show your if you had a weapon or a tool or something equipped, it would show that as well. <coughs> Uh, the game was entirely first person and that exploration and trying to find loot things wouldn't you know glisten or shine uh, they weren't rendered differently so it could be difficult sometimes to actually tell what was loot until you you know played a little bit and and found out okay this is a candlestick this is a candlestick i can pick up and throw that doesn't matter this is a candlestick. Oh, it's shiny and gold. Yes, this is a loot candlestick. This goes into my magic sack of things I'm taking out of level. So exploring really was a big deal, especially on the harder difficulties where you had to collect like 90, 95% of all the loot. So you had to look everywhere. You, you, know, you would go through an entire level, think you were good to go, and then realize, shit, I need like... 55 more gold pieces worth of loot and you have to dive back into this level and start like flipping beds over and like jumping through cupboards and trying to find some fucking shiny forks or garbage to take out <laughs> you know without raising awareness or upsetting people who live there and all that stuff mm -hmm. so yeah my experience with the game was very exploratory i played it you know, shortly after it came out, I don't couldn't tell you when exactly, uh, but it it always it always stood out uh, because of its mechanics, and I think I think that playing as a weak character, which is kind of nice after talking about role playing. Um, yeah, it it puts you in a very different frame of mind than than most other games because you have to be so cautious and careful. You don't have any kind of get a get out of jail free card or anything like that it forced cautious exploration and careful use of the limited tool set that you had in a game that for its time still looked pretty good all things considered i it definitely hasn't aged well <laughs> no no I'm, I'm looking at screenshots of it now uh, the, the writing itself was good enough to, to carry you through as well. And, and the world was interesting. Some of the level design was quite clever. Uh, so, yeah, it was, just, it was a lot of weekend exploring, um, trying to figure out where things were, and just a lot of, a lot of tense moments. I'm trying to... Like... The, the the use of of things like the guards dialogue <laughs> yeah really exemplifies the kind of the like the three state of computer ai where guards are either patrolling and they're oblivious to you or they're looking for you or they're 
they've seen you and they're trying to kill you. And you spend so much time like kind of being half spotted and listening to the audio cues and looking for the shadows all of the time that, I don't know, it, it really keeps you on edge for a lot of the time. It's It was just, it's a good, I don't want to say puzzle game because that's not quite right, but you know what I mean. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah, I'm seeing this was made by Edos, or Idos, so uh, yeah. like the people who did uh, Tomb well, Raider as well. Maybe not the same, pu- exact same No, people, it was but... published by them. It was made by Looking Glass Studios, who I think only, only right. made two or three games. Right. Mm, I wonder, uh, so it, or, did you play the 2014 version as well? <laughs> uh, I'm ashamed to say that I did give it a shot. Was it anything at all? Did it capture anything of what the original game was like? Mm, I would would argue no. I think uh, Dishonored came out. Yeah, this is being compared to Dishonored as well. Yeah, Dishonored came out and then somebody said, we should make a Thief game. And somebody said, okay, make Dishonored one and a half and call it Thief. And it, it just, it didn't capture any of the original magic. Thief 2 and Thief 3 to a lesser extent. I don't know. I think Thief 2 is pretty polarizing. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Yeah. Thief 3 carried on with a lot of the same. I think it was closer to 1 than 2 was. But yeah, the most the most recent Thief is the least thiefy of the thieves. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, it's, cool, cool. Well, yeah, because Dishonored, like, you're still a, a You're a super boss, dude. Yeah. You yeah. can do whatever the yeah, hell you want. Still, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a really frustrating... To me, That's it's similar to the Hitman comparison, where you go, well, it's a stealth game. Like, yeah, but it's a stealth game where like, there are gajillions of YouTube clips of this stealth game where people are eviscerating like a dozen soldiers over the span of less than that many seconds. It's, it doesn't play into the be sneaky or die realm. It just, it doesn't. Yeah. And also like you're a trained killer in to kill. Yeah. Like you're not just someone who's trying to get in, get what you can and get out preferably unnoticed. Mm -hmm. That's that's a type of game and mechanic that you don't see very often. Yeah. Um, and is very hard to pull off convincingly. Um, and also, not everybody will find that fun. Yeah, it's it's definitely not everyone's bag. I think it's a wonderful bag. I love <laughs> games like that, but that's just me. <laughs> well, you grab and hold on to that bag. <laughs> you enjoy yep. it. Um, okay, so exploratory, um, if you had to pick one thing specifically that you feel like you learned from it, what do you feel it would be? I guess to, to not reflect any kind of, I think it really, it, it changed what, I thought games could be at that point because it was such a unique game to me. Yeah. And it it really is a unique game period. And it it kind of, 
it made me start looking at stereotypes a little bit differently at at the gaming archetypes the 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 tropes that we use all the time and kind of starting to question things like that a little bit more like why yeah cool and patience (laughs) (laughs) patience actually yes um like stealth games are incredibly good at training you to be patient because they make you jump in the game you pay for it they make you super schemey mother it's there's no getting around it if you're you know you need to sneak past people you need to you know be a conniving little prick to (laughs) (laughs) you gotta know how to throw candlesticks in the opposite direction yes yes for sure um how okay so how in depth were some of the the things that you could do uh like was there ever anything sneaky like light a fire in this one place and it'll cause an alarm that'll cause a bunch of other people to run away like did any of that stuff happen or um because i feel like games are at a point now like i know you don't like this comparison but like hitman the the current hitman and hitman 2 Mm. there are a number of systems in place and ai is at the point where you can do things like that and have them intelligently respond in a way that they probably would in the roles that they're in. So like bodyguards or regular guards and stuff, if there's a fire, um, they might leave their posts and like actually go and check it out. Like the mm. people who are closest to it, 100% would, but maybe like other people who are hearing folks shout fire, will actually go and see what the heck's going on. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, it was fairly early game. The AI was, was mm-hmm. fairly limited sound. Yeah. They did a lot with, uh, people who could see you and everyone they they did a lot of sound propagation they actually had the engine was designed so that sound the way sound carried through hallways and across different surfaces and through different shaped rooms was actually um, simulated a little bit differently so that okay. set, and that sound that would carry it was probably one of the bigger things that you could exploit but that would be like guards shouting would then draw more guards. But if guard, mm-hmm. yeah. So if, but if guards are shouting, it's usually a bad day in thief. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. well, uh, traditionally, yeah. so <laughs> there are a few situations where that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and for sure there would be times where you would just, you'd pooch something up really badly and end up running for your life and accidentally, you know, trailing three or four guards behind you and then maybe you manage to lose them in the middle of some place and then you can quick bolt back to the places they're supposed to be guarding <laughs> so i mean it it can be done intentionally mm-hmm. but uh, there were yeah there weren't a ton of other systems for you to interact with there were oh there was, there was one of the one of the missions had something scripted in it. I think there was a, a prayer bell or something that you could ring that would draw specific people out. So, but in general, there wasn't a ton of that. Okay. So not, not yeah, not a lot of uh, world interactivity in that sense. Yeah, not a lot of um, complex manipulation. Yeah, yeah. 
Sorry, my dog is drinking and choking himself at the same time. Oh, that's good. Smart dog. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> he shouldn't. He shouldn't actually be alive. He, he he's like what five, six, almost seven, and he doesn't know how to drink water. Like he's he's choking right now because he still hasn't fucking figured it yeah, out. No, <laughs> Where's like? There you go, Faye. Just per per away, Faye. How can you? How can you? How can you how can you get to this point in your life and not know how to drink water without choking yourself? Oh man. Okay. Sorry. Uh, speaking of learning and, um, <laughs> yeah. cool. Well, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure if I have too many other questions. Was there anything else you wanted to say about thief? Just like, again, mm-hmm. I haven't played it. I'm just looking at images and uh, a couple of gameplay videos, but, um, yeah, nothing striking uh, me right now. Yeah, it it's it's not a game that again because of the the split crowd. It's not a game that growing up I didn't talk to a ton of people that played a lot of it. Since mm-hmm. then, I've I've met other people who are also into stealth games who had also played Thief who also think it's the shit. Mm-hmm. And I think we've had more more interesting conversations since then. Uh, about what made the game special, but that that's more game design stuff. I think in, in mm. terms of of yeah, I would say most of what I learned and took away would be the the game design breakdown more so than anything life shaping. Thief's good, but it's not that good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, maybe we'll shift into—I don't know. Our next section is kind of sad, but we could shift into that <laughs> one if you're, if you're ready. I'm prepared for sadness. Okay. Um, <laughs> awesome. Okay. So uh, here, I have to fix my show notes, even though I already know what we're getting into. There we go. Um, okay. So. Uh, right, so we're going to shift into the next section. Thank you, everybody, for uh, sticking around this far. Um, the next section is, what can you teach us? And the answer right now is patience. We will continue to learn patience. <laughs> we will test ourselves and you and see how long it takes for someone to actually send an email. <laughs> you know, every time I keep saying, this time I'm going to bug people, I'm going to harass people for sure, and I never oh, do. No. You know what? Like, I do not fault. I do not fault our audience. No, no, um, no, no, no. By the, we may actually have an email by the time anyone hears <laughs> this message because we have, I'd say, about another three or four episodes prior to this that haven't been posted online anywhere yet. Yeah. Um, that are just us pathetically <laughs> requesting people to write emails. Um, so yeah, if you want to hear us read something that you wrote um just send it into learn from gaming podcast at gmail.com that's learn from gaming podcast at gmail.com and, and we'll read it I'm even if it's just you, butts butts yeah. butts 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 yeah before yeah. so like really explore this part of the podcast like really experiment you can have some fun with mm-hmm. it, and we will just enjoy getting your yeah. email. Um, 
I feel like I feel like this is bad karma from when we got those enormous emails from Greg and <laughs> didn't read them all. Tried um, to. Well, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, lot, I that, that was yeah, I yeah. gave you rain. That was that yeah. was uh, well, friend of the show, yeah, but like he, your friend, so I was just he's like, fine if we paraphrase, he gets it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so feel free. Let's learn from gaming podcast at gmail dot com. Learn from gaming podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, yeah, send us something just for fun. Um, ask us questions. We like questions. They don't even have to be big crazy questions just ask us something hey ask us how our day went <laughs> we'll tell you um so then uh let's shift into that next section uh which is what we've been playing so Stu, do you want to talk about what you've been playing or would you like me to dip into some of my stuff um, why don't you go first because i was just talking about the for a long time yeah, man. Okay, so uh, first off, I've been playing Langreiser, uh, which is a mobile device game. It's actually based on a um, strategy, uh, strategy RPG, strategy JRPG, SJRPG. There we go. Um, of the same name. Um, it pretty popular series, but it's recently been. Um, I think the latest one was on DS, 3DS, and Nintendo 3DS, oh, and it okay. was just a giant burning pile of garbage. Um, but the mobile version is actually a really engaging. Um, it's I would say it's almost better than uh, Fire Emblem Heroes in terms of free-to-play turn-based strat. It's 100% a gotcha game, right? Like they they want you to throw some money at it. But um, it does have a lot of really good elements. It's got a lot of the rock, paper, scissor uh, pair-ups for... Um, so, like, swords beats spears. Spears beats horses. Horses beats swords. Yeah. Um, but you also get a lot of manipulation. Like, you can you have a, a base hero and then the troops that follow that hero. Um, you also can put equipment on your hero, you can change classes for your hero, get more abilities, and then choose which abilities you carry over from class to class to class. It's like, it's a lot more depth than, um, I was getting out of Fire Emblem. And, uh, when you go into battle, I, I think you get to take one more person because in Fire Emblem, you can only take four people total in, uh... In Langreiser, you can take, I think it's five. Um, and just that one more person adds even more depth because it means more combinations, more options. Um, and I mean, all the regular sort of stereotypes apply. There are healing units. Um, there are like ninja assassin type units that are ranged but can also engage in close combat and can like poison you or damage you over time like lay down dots there's um magic users so you can do large area of effect or just focused incredibly potent single uh stabs um and or like archers stuff like that or then there's cavalry but there's also different types of cavalry so you can have like flying cavalry or um regular riding horses each with their own different weaknesses <laughs> the, the my favorite like this obscure type of unit that i never expected anybody would ever make is sea-based units and i'm like i'm sorry aquatic units but yeah they like they're in there they've got their strengths and weaknesses and uh 
there's a whole skill tree that you can go down and all kinds of different units that you can unlock. Um, so like different troops that you can take with you. Um, yeah, just, uh, really unexpected, like not something that I was even really paying attention to got advertised to me on Facebook just because, uh, the algorithms, um, and my cell phone are probably just listening to me talk, um, or listening to me think, or just following my search history. Um, so I, like, I picked it up and I played it and I, I'm liking it. I'm liking it a lot. Um, only threw a little bit of money at it. Definitely not going to throw as much money at it as I have other gacha <laughs> games. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty content not throwing any more money at it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been good so far. So that's one uh, War Groove. You and I are both playing that. Yeah. Uh, it's great. It's uh, it's you know it's got a few flaws, but in terms of what it is, you know, it's a pretty cut and dry. Stuff really doesn't change. There's probably going to be some balancing, but for the most part, like what you see is what you get, and it is a good little turn-based strat. Um, I'm having fun with it. I hope you are too. Mm-hmm. Um, we are playing games together, both against and with each other. There's one game where I have to go play my turn to see whether or not it's over, <laughs> because either I die or Stu dies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's going to be me. Um, uh also played anthem played in both of the demo weekends for anthem did did you get around to playing some of that uh, the first one yes i got a little okay. bit in. um yeah the first one the demo weekend was a bit rough because it took almost a day for them to get their servers up right yeah. and that was more ea's fault than it was um than it was bioware uh a lot of people didn't know this but ea was basically handing out free access codes to the first demo weekend like candy um, including Bioware, it surprised them too. <laughs> so they had to roll out additional servers that they didn't realize they were going to need. They just didn't anticipate the uh, the audience. There, there's um, which there's another part of that story. What else that happened? I love. It, what else happened? I don't know because like I knew EA yeah. EA didn't announce exactly how many codes they were going to give no, out. But I and I'm I want to believe that this was. EA not having their shit together, but, uh, like Bioware. Okay. The dude who does a bunch of investigation on netcode to kind of determine, I wish I had the guy's name offhand. I didn't realize this was going to come up, but he's done breakdowns of things like being able to track, uh, players IP addresses and trace routing and seeing where all your packets are going and packet loss and comparisons and prediction between different clients on thing and oh, games like Overwatch and Call of Duty and all that stuff. So he, he's he's the yeah, guy. I'm already excited. Yeah, he's the dude who did a bunch of packet tracing and all netcode examination. He he looked at what was going on when the Anthem servers were down. Yep. And why every other EA server was down. And it was because uh, oh yeah everything, everything went, went down, down. Be- everything went be- down I forgot about because that because when when <laughs> Anthem's login servers didn't respond the client normally in an ideal world would like wait five seconds and retry. In some cases, what you'll get is a long disconnect because it's not retrying, and your your yeah. client is just waiting there. What Anthem was doing was when it didn't get a response 
try to access every other EA server. Everyone trying to log into Anthem was DDoSing EA. (laughs) Brought all of their shit down. That makes a lot more sense. And the fact that the volume of it would have just killed them. (laughs) People were furious because they couldn't play Battlefield. They couldn't log into Origin. And it was all because (laughs) people trying to log into Anthem. And EA got shut down. Oh, it was magical. Yeah, for quite some yeah, time. It was like half I, a I day or like, something. Yeah, it was <laughs> because it it launched uh, Pacific time, where if you're not if you're not on the west coast of the continental United States and Canada, um, <laughs> then it's actually quite late in the day. Um, so yeah, that uh, that's significant. Yeah, it was hilarious. I love yeah, it. Like things weren't working here. Um, east East Coast until I think it was like five or six in the evening, or or later, like almost nine. I think by the time I could successfully log mm-hmm. in, um, hold it. No, it was later. Like I went to sleep. I just gave up that day, oh, okay. and then woke up the next morning and played. So yeah, part of me wants to think that Bio, some developer at Bioware was like, uh, so w- sorry when when your servers aren't working, what IP do you want us to actually go to? And somebody at EA said, "Fuck you guys, we'll tell you that never," and just yeah. like just some miscommunication, right? Because it's it's Bioware's development in that case, but EA's servers. I'm sure there was some miscommunication that just somebody left an asterisk where there was supposed to be a three six or something like that, and then that's fun. <laughs> yeah, that's know. actually really fun. That's awesome. I love it. Um, okay. Well, uh, had, had fun in my time with Anthem, got to play with my brother, which, uh, the, like the, the matchmaking and the, the, um, team, team creation is pretty good. Uh, it felt okay. The second week, um, the, cause I played both weeks, the second weekend, uh, I was more used to the interface, so it was even easier. Um, yeah, it's it's. Oh, I had fun. I had fun with it. Um, I'm not sure how much fun I'm gonna have with it, but uh, that initial that initial part was actually really really good, and I love that they pulled a uh, Fortnite style um, cataclysm event at the end, where the, it basically changed everything that was happening in free mode, so that it was just spawning all kinds of those elemental titans right at the end. Like, the sky opened up and it was just rain. Like, just like um, our least favorite, Warcraft, the sky opened up and was just raining meteors that were actually those uh, those chaos elementals. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really nifty. Um, and it just showed that that's the sort of stuff that they're, they're going to be able to do and that they can do live uh, when the servers are working. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, did you have a good time with it? Did you play with other people? Yeah, we we did play a bunch of stuff. We did do that four-man stronghold. Yeah, so did you get to the big bug at the end? Yep, 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 yep. Cool. Uh, we cool. did not really have much trouble. It was nice. There were, like, you get a couple tense moments of, you know, a couple of people will be dead. Get them up. Tense. Ooh. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was all pretty straightforward. Yeah, it it's. I mean, it's going to be a loot game, yeah. right? It's going to be a loot yeah. game. Um, I think ever it'll be interesting. I think Sorry, ever, everybody enjoyed the core gameplay. 
it's really going to just depend on if the environments or the boss fights end up being much, or what they have in terms of end game. If it's just grinding the same shit all the time, it's not. I don't think it's gonna. It's gonna stick. Yeah, I, I've seen some different environments, um, like uh, fights in volcanoes and stuff. Um, but I guess we'll just sort of see what we actually get. Like the 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 map looks to be quite large. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we were able to actually access was pretty limited. And if there's anything we've seen from a lot of games, well, especially Bethesda, big world that's boring is just more boring rather than, you know, a smaller area with decent content. Yeah. Um, what made me feel good is I, like, I spent a lot of time in free play. I spent a lot of time in missions, uh, bounce back and forth. The world shifts and sort of uh, mutates a lot in free play. Um, I actually was playing when that that storm started up, and I just thought it was a regular storm. I didn't think much of it. Um, And I didn't really look up to notice if the sky was actually falling or not. Um, And then I logged off, and it wasn't a big deal. I didn't realize that stuff happened until later. Um, But um, I've gone back and forth near... um, near similar landmarks and it'll be like different stuff will be there different things will be there and there'll even be like events that just sort of pop up on the map if you're in free play um and you could be flying because like you can actually go back into dungeons again after you've cleared them out um in the mission yeah yeah, yeah. uh the mission setting and there's dudes in there not the same dudes that were there before like i remember i went into that do you remember that one mission where you end up fighting like three of those uh, elemental titans in a row like they're all all there together um if you go back in there in free play it's a bunch of outlaws and you can go clean that out and you might get some good loot you might not um but the area surrounding that there were like scar and all kinds of other crazy shit just showing up there and i went back there quite a few times just because i knew that there'd be guaranteed loot in in that area and i could handle it and it was always different. One okay. time I went there and there was one of those uh, spider crawlers. Um, and I just fought that thing <laughs> for fun. Yeah. It was just out in the wild. Nice. Um, and that's that's nice. But there were also events. Like I would get called down by downed uh, javelins, like downed freelancers uh, okay. that needed help. Yeah. And then that turns into an event. Yeah. And like Scar will start spotting it and all kinds of shit. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't actually get a chance to do any of the free play, so... <coughs> So that, that that's it's, one of the things I'm yeah. I'm hoping turns out to be decent. Yeah. It's sporadic right now though. Yeah. So like I'm it's not a hundred percent clear what is uh scripted and what yeah, is Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it it seemed like of course the map's not sp- procedurally generating, but the stuff what it is and where it is yeah. is. Um so in free play, to be clear. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so played that. Played a little bit of Apex Legends on uh, the PS4 for me. That was fun for the six to ten minutes of it that I played. Uh, should go back to it, but haven't yet. Um, played Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, Wii U Deluxe for the Nintendo Switch, and it's a Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> and then um, played Into the Breach on the switch again and i'm just having fun playing that game it's just 
scratching more of that turn-based itch, a different itch than uh, Langrizer or Wargroove. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you've been listening to the show this far, you know that I like turn-based rats. So I was having a good time with it. And that's me, Stu. Nice. Um, well, yeah, I've been sneaking in some games of Wargroove. I haven't really tried much in the way of multiplayer yet, other than other than the games I'm doing with you right now. Mm-hmm. I've gotten through a fair chunk of the story, I think. I've seen, like, half the commanders, so I don't, I don't know. getting through it it's it's it seems to just i think the ai the ai is not perfect from the single player stuff that i have done yeah i've not been impressed with the ai if i can be honest with you but it's okay because it's it it allows you to push through the story pretty easily yeah and they just like mission by mission the increase in difficulty is just you start out with the odds more and more stacked against you uh it's yeah it seemed to be pretty straightforward that and mm-hmm. uh we've been playing a bunch of deep rock again that that really did oh, bounce deep up rock Galactic. yeah nice yeah a, a couple more people picked it up so we've been doing a bunch of that again uh, yeah i could still i could still sing deep rock's praises it's wonderful as a co-op game absolutely wonderful okay i kind of want to pick the, it up the, um, you, you're all playing it on pc yeah right? yeah i don't know if it's on anything else yet no idea yeah no it's a, it, but, not but something but you also it, like but, it's uh, a shooter i would feel most comfortable with the mouse yeah i know you <laughs> would <laughs> That's where your homes yeah. do. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, I don't know. Uh, that's something I got to look into. I'm, I'm yeah. going to be traveling uh, next week, so I'm not going to have a lot of free time or currency of my own to uh, <laughs> yeah. to do that stuff with. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe when I yeah. get back, I can look into I've, that. Unfortunately, when I get back, Anthem's going to be in full swing, and my brother's going to want me to play with yeah. him. And yeah. I'm going to be obliged to do it because I really had a lot of fun <laughs> with it for the demo. Nice. And I want to see what that full game looks yeah, like. Yeah, so. that's fair. Favorite javelin, go. <laughs> There you go. Oh, favorite javelin? Uh, you know what? At first, I was like, yeah, I want to be a storm, and I played storm, and it was kind of fun. But um, I had a lot of trouble with the Colossus at first. But uh, once I figured out how to use him properly, I really liked oh, the Colossus. Nice. Yeah. So far, I'm the only one who really liked the Interceptor. I don't know if it it doesn't feel super strong, but it I don't know. It, it's the only other one other than the Ranger that I tried, but. Yeah, Felt my brother good. really enjoyed the interceptor, and he was quite oh, good, good with it. Um, but it's the interceptor, like it's a different. It's and, kind of a different beast, I think. And that's that's what I am actually enjoying about Anthem and about the uh, the different uh, types of javelins is the, each one is a different playstyle. What a lot of people didn't realize about the ranger is the ranger isn't a straight offensive javelin like it's support if you look at the abilities that that thing has like laying down shields laying down uh, attack boost bubbles like that thing is not meant to go head on per se it's meant to put down like um like put down so that like so that the colossus can walk into that attack 
increase bubble and then put the shield down and just ruin yeah. things, right? And be a distraction while the interceptor's actually flanking and the storm is up in the air dropping shit on top of people's yeah. heads. Um, and th- what's interesting is like that game has me thinking tactically in terms of teams and how people are supposed to be working together. Yes. And um, more importantly than just thinking about tactically and team and working together, it's not your tank DPS healer trifecta. Any any yeah. of the javelins can operate on its own. Yes. Yeah, you can play solo no problem. It's just a different way of thinking yeah. about the puzzle of uh, killing all these dudes. Um, but uh, uh, We'll see what happens, yeah, when it all comes out. My, yeah, my brother and I were really starting to get into the swing of things, like... Because I was a Colossus, I would like I would just taunt, and then he would flank and take out the really heavy hitters first, um, and that was like th- that. Things started to feel good, but we didn't spend enough time to figure it out. But then, because I had been other javelins, because I had actually been doing really well with the storm for a while, I'm like, if there was a storm somewhere in the air, just laying, laying elemental stuff down on these people, we would be busting those combos, making them blow up, and these guys would be dying so much faster. Yeah. It would be so much tidier. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, actually getting into it. Also, if they roll it out like War Warframe and they make other javelins, like they make more, yeah. um, it, it could just, that, it it could go just a long turn way. into the next Warframe, yep. right? Um, yep. Which Warframe is still goes. a viable game, still a yep. great game. So Different, different beast. There are yeah. a lot of comparisons between Anthem Destiny and Anthem and Warframe, and yeah, I'm I, not really sure how. I guess we'll see. We'll see over the next couple well, months how many of those comparisons really well, hold what's, up. What's interesting, I'll actually put this in the show notes. Um, I know we're starting to run a little long, so we'll 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 tidy this up yeah. shortly. But um, of all things, extra credits. Uh, did a, a quick comparison. They didn't mention Anthem specifically, but it's interesting that they would uh, do a comparison video between Warframe and Destiny. Okay. And what was working... Um, basically, the, the crux of the video is that um, Activision Blizzard didn't realize they were doing it, but they were effectively throwing marketing money into Warframe by diluting and confusing and basically just shattering and rewriting the story the story and narrative of uh, Destiny so often. Um, and failing to communicate exactly what it was that that game was because what they delivered and what they said they were going to deliver were two different mm-hmm. things. And also they then had stuff... They, they had like there it's this dark serious future where bad things are happening and then you have it voiced by like one of the primary dudes in it is Nathan Fillion who's cracking jokes the whole time um like there's just a bunch of stuff that didn't make sense and actually the video itself explains it a lot better than I'm doing but um the the crux of it is it seemed like this triple a company that was marketing it had absolutely no idea what they were actually trying to do. And then once they sort of were getting a grasp on it, they wouldn't let Bungie continue to roll it out as a service, but instead were just like, well, we understand sequels. So make the sequel. 
And all the while, Warframe's just like, hey, guys, you're a mess. Why don't you come play in this dark, far future where all of this stuff makes sense? Mm -hmm. Maybe the story is a little muddy, but guess what? We've got this and this and this and this and this. Um, Very well defined, not about to change because it's, yeah. Yeah, and like now the the, the content glut for for Warframe, like you could get lost in that game. Oh, yeah. For months, yeah. right? Months, maybe even a year. Uh, there's so much shit in there, and it's like it's good. Like I'm so proud of that uh, of that company and the stuff that mm. they've done. Like good old Canadian company, they're doing a great job. Um, I forget what the hell their name is off the top of my head, but they've been nothing but good to me. Like my my account actually got hacked, um, <laughs> and they were able to resolve it and tidy things up quick. It was really really nice. And they're just doing good content, right? Like, I mean, I, I I don't know how much longer Warframe will run, but I'm betting a few more years at least. And then they can move on to whatever project they want. They almost released a new project, didn't they? And they just sort of were like, no, nah, let's lean back into Warframe. I think they were going to do like a uh, kind of like an Overwatch sort of shooter, but Overwatch basically dominated and then... They, like Fortnite they, showed up and they're just like, no, we're okay. We'll just keep doing Warframe for a bit. It's be. all right. I don't remember. Um, hmm. Digital Extremes? The company he, or yeah. the name of the game they're trying to make? The company. Oh, here. Um, this is such good radio. <laughs> the sound of us looking on the internet. Warframe. I don't remember what they did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Digital Extremes. Yeah. Based in London. Uh, yeah. That much I remember. That's about all I remember. Yeah, London, Ontario. Yeah. That's uh, that's that. Oh, not too far away from us. Um, but yeah. Uh, way to go. Way to go, Warframe. Good job. <laughs> they did it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, you don't you don't hear success stories like that very often, but uh, they just they there was a niche, and they filled it. And I think they're mm, if EA can pull off Anthem, they might start pulling players away from Warframe. Um, uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Because uh, what happened is a lot of people just got burned out on Destiny or weren't really sure what they wanted to do with Destiny, yeah. and went to Warframe. But I mean, also the like the. Warframe could be like the third person ninja game, ninja mech game um, uh, version of WoW, where people have devoted so much time and money yeah, to dude, it you're, that now you're they committed just don't want to, to shift. Now, yeah. Yeah. And, and so there'll, a lot of, I suspect there will be quite a few Warframe players who will go and try Anthem. And it just, it depends. Yeah, but if the content isn't there, they'll just go right yeah. back, right? Because there's so many things that you can do in warframe whereas uh the big criticism aimed at anthem right now is no content yeah what's the end game content you're gonna have what four or five strong strongholds total yeah and then legendary contracts which is just fighting the same stuff that you fought in the strongholds but out in the open so but man we are just going down a deep rabbit hole yeah that was (laughs) that was a big sorry Um, okay, cool. Uh, what else have you been playing, or is that it? <laughs> no, Deep Rock is, has been a fair amount of my 
my gamey time. Okay, cool. I, the power was out um, here a couple of days ago, so I got to play guitar by candlelight. Oh, that that was, sounds it was nice. Interesting. Good for yeah, you. The cats loved it Good too. Good for you, you weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? The power went out here a few times too, but like that was the ice uh, ice yeah, storm fiasco, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and also now here the power keeps going out and I was like, what the fuck is wrong? It's just cause they're actually doing electrical work here. They're, uh, they're replacing the infrastructure. So the old, oh, okay. uh, telephone poles, they're replacing them with new yeah. ones, which means they have to un unhook the, um, yeah, the live yeah, yeah. wires. Yeah. Uh, so whatever they can turn the power off. I, I would rather not watch somebody roast. Um, yeah, that'd be a bad day. It's just, I work from home, so that can be a bit yeah. tough. Don't you have a battery backup? Um, in my laptops or or your desktop just get a ups like a generator no you can buy oh whatever i'll yell at you after <laughs> okay no i know what you mean like a uh, uh, like a, a usb plugs in and it's an, an additional battery or like um will fill up the battery well you can you get a thing it's like 100 bucks or 200 bucks and you can plug whatever into it you can plug your microwave into it if you want but yeah it's just <laughs> A battery backup for whatever you want. <laughs> no, I don't have one of those right now. Um, but we can talk about it later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're way off topic. All right, let's let's rein this Boom, thing in. Done. Um so you, yeah, you're you're done for games, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, well then I'm gonna say thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to this uh and get this far um and uh hope that you've enjoyed yourselves so Stu, do you have anything you'd like to plug as we close things off today nothing comes to mind nope okay cool um what do i want to plug today i think today i'm going to plug um uh you know i'm going to plug the onyx path so these uh these are the people who are producing a lot of the old white wolf games now uh white wolf basically got sold or they acquired the rights to most of the properties in it um and how they actually create new books now is they just put them all onto kickstarter so um they're keeping a lot of the communities for these old games satisfied by releasing new content and they they announce them on kickstarter um Stu, I don't know if you're tracking or if you even care, but Exalted 3rd Edition is now all the way up to Lunars, and the Lunar Kickstarter is going right now. It won't be by the time anybody hears this episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. uh, just uh, just something to think about. So Dragon Blooded book's already out, main book's already out, um, and Lunars is, is coming along. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Lunar Exalted were always my yeah. favorite. Um so yeah, uh, Onyx Bath. I uh, can't say enough good things about them. Happy to see them doing what they're doing. Um, and I think that's really it. Aside from thanking uh, Joe for doing our art and Dimitri for doing our music. So, if you, the listener, want to know more about Learn From Gaming podcast, uh, we've got all kinds of social media going on. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Anything that happens for the show uh, usually gets announced there. I think we will just start asking people if they want to send in questions or emails uh, maybe a couple of days before we record because I have done that three times total in the history of our show. (laughs) And we might actually get some results. Uh, I've noticed that uh, reminding people about things, they usually respond. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so if uh, you want to know more about us, just check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Podbean. That's where we host all of our uh, all of our audio content, and it kind of functions as a website for now. And um, yeah, that's what's going on. We're also on iTunes. We're on any Google platform you can imagine. And that's really it. So again, thanks for joining us and tune back in soon. Bye-bye.